There are moments in life that change us forever, moments that we never truly get beyond. For Christians, that moment comes with realizing the joy that we have in Jesus. Join Dr. Brown as he wraps up his series in 1 Thessalonians by looking at the five reasons why Christians have the greatest expectation of joy. This is Hearing is Believing. The Bible tells a story of people encountering God. Is that the way that you read the Bible? I hope that you do. It tells a story of people encountering God. And that encounter sets the direction, sets the course of their lives. Think about it. Abraham, he never came back from his journey of trusting God. God said, go, and he went. And the rest of his life, he trusted God. Moses never got over that encounter that he had with God on the mountain. David He never got past his confidence of standing before the enemy of the the Lord and slaying him with a sling and stone. The disciples, they never got over Jesus. And if you read the story of the Gospels, I don't know where you are in your Bible reading. I know oftentimes when we read those through the Bible in a year plans, they keep us away from the Gospels. But I encourage you to read the Gospels on a regular basis morning and evening, perhaps morning time, you'll read whatever, and then in the evening come back to the Gospels. But the Gospels, they tell the story of Jesus almost as if it happened yesterday. And then we realize historically that uh, the earliest Gospels, perhaps Matthew or Mark, was written in the mid-50s. Now, Jesus crucified and resurrection in the mid-30s. So that means there are two decades, two decades between the events and the recording of those events. John's gospel, maybe you love John's gospel the most, but when you read John's gospel, remember that John is writing his gospel almost 50 years after Jesus walked the earth. You see, they never got over Jesus, and they really weren't meant to. And I wonder this morning as we're together, I wonder what is that one event that changed your life forever? Of course, today we're celebrating the fact that many of our seniors are beginning for that moment that's going to change their life forever. Here they are, they have all this anticipation of graduation and they're fixing to experience that moment that's going to change their life forever. And though, guys, you may not be able to see it now, I want to encourage you with this. You're going to have greater moments than what you're fixing to experience that are coming for you. Just wait. I remember a moment that changed my life forever. It was when I met my little girl for the first time. I held that beautiful baby girl, and I'll be honest, and I know that I'm a little biased, but she's the most beautiful baby that I've ever held in my life. Now, I love holding my children. I don't necessarily love holding your children, but, you know, there's something special about holding your own little girl. And when I saw her the first time, oh, I remember a picture vividly in my mind of that beautiful pink skin, beautiful black hair. There she was. That moment set the course of my life forever. And there are instances, I want to just tell you, that there are instances in your life that you will never truly get beyond. Some of those are going to be positive. Some of those are going to be negative. But for them, for the disciples and for us, being with Jesus 
is something that we really can't get beyond. And in reality, we're not supposed to. Just the other night, my little girl, the one that I'm telling you about, she asked me, she said, Daddy, what's it going to be like when I see Jesus? Oh, I wonder what it's going to be like when I finally get to see Jesus, don't you? When he finally looks at you in those eyes that are just going to pierce you right in between, suddenly melt from eyes of flaming fire to eyes of loving grace, and he looks at you. You who've called his name all through your life, you who have prayed to him all your life, he's going to look at you. And he's going to call you by your name. And he's going to welcome you to himself forever. You see, here in the Bible this morning, I encourage you to take it and join me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And here in Thessalonians, at the end, and we're celebrating today the, the end of our first series together. And this is the first celebration of many to come. But we're here at the end. And Here in Thessalonians, Paul brings that hope of Jesus to the minds of the Thessalonians. You see, this church is one of the earliest churches that Paul founded. It was on his early missionary journeys, and this young church was to always have before them this vision of Jesus, always have before them this vision of the coming of Jesus, and to never get beyond Jesus. And the same is true for us. The same is true for you and me. You see, the anticipation of us being with the Lord forever, it centers our hope and it secures our dreams. And if there's one thing that I think that we need to recapture as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to recapture that expectant hope, this glorious vision of being with God forever. Don't be satisfied, beloved. Don't be satisfied with anything else because in reality, nothing else is going to satisfy you. It was C.S. Lewis in his essay, The Weight of Glory. Listen to what he says. He says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex, and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like infinite, like ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. And then Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased. I don't want us to be too easily pleased this morning. I want us to look at the end of Thessalonians to see five reasons Christians have the greatest expectation of joy. Now, that's quite a claim, isn't it? That we say as believers, those who have this is our story, this Jesus who came, lived, loved, died, rose, and is coming again, that expectation gives us the greatest expectation of purest joy. You can search, and many of you will, as you live your life, you will search. But here's my challenge. You'll never find anything sweeter. You'll never find anyone as satisfying as Jesus. Let's hear the Bible this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 23. And you'll notice that as I read verse 23, it's in a prayer. 
It's a benediction. It's the final words that Paul has in his first letter to these Thessalonians. I don't know if he necessarily intended to write the second letter. We do have second Thessalonians. But here's his last words to them. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray together. Help us, Lord, in this moment to center our hopes and expectations on Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. And I wonder this morning, what is your expectation? But more than what is your expectation, what I want to give you is what is our expectation. Five expectations that you and I have that are ours because of Jesus. Number one, we expect the peace of God forever. You and I expect the peace of God forever, and He's not going to disappoint us. This is what I want to say up front. This is our expectation, and our expectation is not going to result in disappointment. You know what it's going to result in? Satisfaction. Forever. Look at this. It's interesting. Paul wrote to the third church in Thessalonica. He wrote to them a message of peace, and that's exactly what they needed because they were born in a world of hostility. They were facing persecution, and so Paul comes to them, and he gives them this message of peace. And it's not just at the end, at the end he reminds them of what he said in the beginning, but it's not just a reminder of what he said in the beginning so much as it is a reinforcement of what he said. Because all these chapters in between are, are levied against this, this hopelessness to ensure that we have the peace of God guarding our minds in Christ Jesus. So it's not just a reminder after five chapters, but it's a reinforcement of the peace that God Himself offers. And this passage teaches us something about the peace of God that He offers. What do we need to know about peace? Well, peace is something that we receive. Peace is given to us. Jesus told his disciples as he was facing the cross, Jesus, as he knew what following him meant, he knew that in the world that those that follow Jesus would have trouble. He prepared us for the trouble. And here's what he said. Listen to what he said in John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then Paul would tell the church in Ephesus that Jesus Christ himself is our peace. So do you hear that? First we have Jesus saying that he's going to give peace, and then we have Paul saying Jesus is peace. He gives himself to us, and in the self-giving of himself, when the Father sent Jesus, he sent peace. And this Jesus comes into the chaos of our lives as the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior, and He looks at your chaos, He looks at mine, and you know what His message is? Peace. When we read headlines that cause us grief, we are reminded our world needs relief. 
Who can bring what the world needs? Only Jesus Himself, if we but simply receive. Jesus Himself can richly supply all our heart's longings and save us by and by. You see, all the turmoil that we face is on account of the world being out of joint with God's vision for what He intended things to be. And Jesus came on a mission, and Jesus' mission is a mission of peace because He Himself is peace. And how did He bring peace? Don't miss this. He brought peace by ending hostilities. And the way that He ended hostilities was through Himself offering all of Himself for us. He Himself is our peace. And so, to secure the peace of God for us, He gave Himself freely. We were the ones who were hostile. We were the transgressors. We were the ones who deserved the wrath of God. But He Himself is our peace. He freely offered Himself to us, and now He calls us to believe. And listen to me, believing in Jesus is peace. We sing a song, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." The sweetness of trusting in Jesus is the peace that He gives us. You and I, as the church, are watching around us a decaying world. And in the midst of our watching and being in this world that is decaying, you and I need to remember that He Himself is our peace. We're watching our society change rapidly. Our society is adopting policies that are out of bounds with God's Word, and remember this. We know the peace of God through Christ Jesus, and therefore we are at peace. Though the mountains be tossed into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, we have peace because God Himself is our peace. So there's oftentimes, dear church, we just need to be still and know that He's God. And as Psalm 46 tells us, know that He will be exalted. Even though the nations rage, even though the kingdoms totter, all He has to do is open His voice, and the world melts. A new Gallup poll released recently telling us this, U.S. church membership falls below the majority for the first time. U.S. church membership falls below the majority for the first time. For the first time since they've been doing these polls, they have found for the first time that U.S. church membership falls below the majority. And here's what we need to pay attention to. Watch the arguments that will be levied against us in the coming days. They're going to tell us, you're on the wrong side of history. They're going to tell us, your ways are antiquated. Your ways are old-fashioned, out of date to which you and I must remember always that we might be on the wrong side of history, but we're on the right side of peace because there is no peace apart from Jesus Christ. The hostility of racism will never end without the peace of Jesus Christ. 
Sexual expression will always be in turmoil unless you know Jesus. You will always have an identity crisis until you know your identity in Jesus Christ. And you will never, listen to me, you will never value life or another person until you know how much God values you. You say, how much does He value you? When you were still a sinner, when I was still a sinner, Christ died for me, for you. The godly for the ungodly, the righteous for the unrighteous, the lovely for the unloving. He did that also that we would know peace, peace with God through Christ Jesus. And so we stand in this world in darkness. We stand in the darkness of our world with a message that shines so bright. And that message, that message is a message of peace. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, our Jesus says, He gives to you. And it's not as the world gives peace. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. And church, we need to recapture that. We need to recapture the world looking to us as the stabilizing force of peace in society. You remember this, after September the 11th, 2001, a couple of days after the towers fell, the reports say that there was one non-military aircraft that was in the air, and it was a plane traveling from North Carolina to Washington, D.C., And on that plane was a man, Billy Graham. They were taking him from his home in Carolina to the National Cathedral so that he could stand at that moment and declare over the world our message as believers, the stabilizing force in society, that there is a God who we have transgressed against, but a Savior who has taken the wrath for us so that we could be at peace with God forever. What's our expectation? Number one, the peace of God forever. Number two, this morning, holiness forever. What do we expect? We don't just expect the peace of God. We expect holiness. The God of peace himself, don't miss that, himself, he intends something for us. And what is it that He intends? He intends us to be, you ready for this word? Sanctified. That's what the Bible says. And may your whole spirit and soul, or excuse me, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. You say, what does it mean to be sanctified? It's another way of saying holy. You say, well, what does it mean to be holy? It means being conformed to the image of the Son of God forever. You say, what's the big deal about being conformed into the image of Jesus? Well, where we failed, He succeeded. Where we were wrong, He was right. Where we were rebellious, He was obedient, and He did it all for us. Jesus was sent to live the perfect life and then to give His perfect life to us in the power of the Spirit. Jesus said this, He said, I always do what pleases the Father. Can you say that? Can you say that I always do what pleases the Father? 
You can through faith in Jesus. Because here's what it means. Every time, because of grace, every time the Father looks at us, He sees the perfect obedience of the Son imputed to us. You say, wait a minute, sanctification imputed? What are you talking about? Here's what it means. Here's what imputation means. It means He takes, he takes His righteousness and He gives us His righteousness. He takes, he takes our unrighteousness and He gives us His righteousness. He takes our disobedience, and He gives us He gives us His obedience, and He does all of that. That act of exchange, that act of imputation, is all done through reconciliation, where He takes all of our mess and He overcomes our mess by His perfection, and He gives us His perfection. And now, on account of Jesus, when the Father looks at us. He sees the perfect obedience of the Son imputed or freely given to us all on account of love. All on account of love. You see, God loves you too much to leave you where you are. He wants you to be just like Jesus. And notice the extent to which God intends to make us holy. My Bible says in verse 23, He's going to sanctify us completely. Completely. That is, We will lack no part of us that is not completely His. And then look at this. Sanctify you completely and may your, look at this, your whole spirit, soul, and body. That's the three-part division of what makes us human. What does it mean to be human? It means that you have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. In other words, God desires to make you completely His. He desires to make all of you His. And that reference there is a reference back to what God's already told His people back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where the people were told to love the Lord God in a certain way, with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength. In other words, everything that you are. And let me tell you this this morning, God can never be satisfied with just a part of you. He's too great for that. He's too grand for that. He is worthy of all of you, and He intends to have the whole of us. And why not allow God to have every part of you? What is this tendency that we have to keep holding on to something? Why do we have in the back of our minds that if we surrender to the Lord, we're going to experience some kind of lack? God's going to keep us from something. Why do we have this feeling that if we totally surrender, that we're going to have something missing in our lives. I'll never forget one time, one of my youth, uh, that she was convinced that she had a calling on her life to go to Africa. But her granddaddy, he didn't like that. Her granddaddy, he could not imagine his uh, his, his granddaughter to be sent to the deep, dark jungles of Africa. And so he resisted it. But you see, this young lady, she learned the lesson that Jim Elliott learned. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And this granddaddy eventually came around and let her go to Africa, but here's what he understood. Here's what he came to know, something that I want to tell you this morning. The real loss for us is not giving your all to Jesus. You're giving yourself to someone who loves completely. You're giving yourself to someone who is good. There's no variation or shifting shadow of evil within him. You're giving yourself to someone who is worthy of every ounce of your trust. You're giving yourself, listen, 
Listen, you're giving yourself to someone who has your best in mind. You say, what's my best? It's all that God has prepared for you. It's all that He has prepared for you. You say, what does God have prepared for me? Well, look at it. It's spelled out in verse 23 through 24. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and body and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at the verse 24. He reminds us of what He said in the beginning when He called these uh, Thessalonians those who were chosen. Look at what He says here. He who calls you is faithful. Chapter 5 and verse 24. He will surely do it. Now notice that emphasis. I ask you to remember in your mind this uh, verse 23 where it says God of peace himself. And then verse 24, we get a reckoning of what this God will do. He who calls you, this one who himself, he is faithful and he is surely going to do it. Remember, this is a benediction. And here at the end, we learn that our sanctification, that is our being made holy, is totally up to God. It's up to God. He who began a work in you, he's going to see it to completion. Don't resist it. You resist the ways of God, you're wasting your time. He's got more time than you do. He who calls you, listen, in case you missed it, he who calls you is faithful. And then don't miss that. He will surely do it. He's going to do it. And it's a great comfort to know that God, he has you in the palm of his hand. And since you're right there, he's determined, he's decided that he's never going to let you go. And said, what's he going to do? He's going to conform you to the image of his son. Look at this. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 teaches us our third expectation. We're going to be kept blameless. There again, emphasis on holiness for something. What? Verse 23, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So our third expectation is that he is coming for us. And when he does, number three, we will be with the Lord forever. And that's a theme that we've seen since the beginning of Thessalonians, since the beginning of this chapter. And and here it is, coming up again here at the end. And there's an assurance that you and I are to have all through life, this assurance of a Jesus who is coming. You see, I hope that you believe this. The second coming of Jesus is more sure than us getting out of here at 12. Some of you, you don't have to convince me of that. I've seen the time. The coming of Jesus is more sure than the sun coming up tomorrow. Do you believe that? What if we lived each day with the confident expectation of His coming? And if I'm honest with you, completely transparent, there are some days where the coming of Jesus is dull in my senses. You see, the Bible says we're supposed to live in such a way Come now, you who say this and that, you're going to make plans here tomorrow. You're supposed to say, if the Lord wills, then we'll do that. Many of you, this time of the year, you've already probably booked your plane ride to go on your vacation. If not your plane ride, you've already mapped out the course. If not the course, then you've probably already secured the place where you're going to stay. But how many of you said, we'll do this if the Lord wills? Oh, well, of course I said we'll do. How many of you said it? How many of you said, we'll go here and there if the Lord wills? 
When Katie was pregnant, and I have to say that because I used to say when we were pregnant, and she would correct me, you know, she'd say, you weren't pregnant. All you did was eat a sandwich. And I did. That's right. It was a great sandwich. It was a steak sandwich. But anyway, we won't talk about that. But when Katie was pregnant, I remember us talking about the Lord's return. It's just one of those things that you do, right? It's, it's you have all this expectation, and the Bible talks about the Lord coming as birth pains upon the earth, and all that. So we're talking about the Lord's return. And so here we have prepared for this child, and we're ready to receive the child. And I recall both of us saying that we were not yet ready for the Lord to come back. Lord, just wait just a minute until we have this baby. Let us see. You know, all of those kind of things. And now there are some days when I consider what my children will face, I pray more fervently for Jesus to come back. And when Jesus comes, it's going to be an interruption. And that's okay. Because when He comes, it'll be the greatest interruption imaginable for those who trust in Him. You see, when He comes, there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sadness. There'll be no more confusion. No more anxiety. Just us with Him forever. And His coming, (coughs) His coming will be the greatest interruption imaginable. We will be ready That's what it says. We will be ready. We'll be kept blameless because He's keeping us. Trust Him. And He's coming for us. Believe Him. He is faithful. Look at the Bible. He's going to do it. Nothing will stop Him from coming when the time is perfect. And now look at the rest of the Thessalonians here. Look at these last few verses of Thessalonians. These last few verses, they they hit a tone of what is a major theme in Thessalonians, and that is the theme of community. Number four, what's our expectation of great joy? Number four, fellowship with others forever. Look at this very quickly, verse 25. And I'm just walking down the text here. Brothers, holy, holy kiss, read the letter before you all. Grace be with you all. All of those are signifiers that Paul intended the church to come together. And when you come together, you're to have this moment of the holy kiss. Now, I've known some men who take that literally, and you you really scare all the ladies. Look, listen, the holy kiss nowadays is just the greeting that we have together. We clasp hands. It's hard to have a moment of reception when you're distant. If this moment of pandemic has taught us anything is that there is no church apart from us gathering together. You can call it whatever you want, but don't call it church because there is no church apart from us gathering together. And for this past year, we as a church have been scattered because of the virus. And in many cases, we've been providentially hindered from gathering. Some say, Pastor, are we violating Scripture by us not coming together during this time? Hebrews chapter 10, not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. Are we violating that? Well, not in most cases, no. There may be some that have violated that, but that's between them and the Lord. But we've been providentially hindered 
this past year from all coming together. And now finally, by the grace of our Lord, we're starting to see we're starting to see the virus give us relief. For example, when I first started, I couldn't see your faces. I kept telling you that uh, bank robbers wear masks so they won't be recognized, and so now I get the opportunity to, not, to put a name with a face. Instead of a name with a hairdo or a name with an eyelash or whatever the case, I get to see your face. And because of the grace of our Lord, we're seeing the virus begin to release, to give us some relief. But can you just imagine, just for a moment, and I think that we experienced a little bit of this from our experience at Easter when we all came together. Can you just imagine what a day it's going to be when we all get to be together again? We won't have to wear the mask, when we won't have to worry about social distancing. I know some of you introverts are really looking forward to keeping the social distancing. I understand those things. But can you just imagine what it's going to be like when we finally get to come together again? And you know what we do when we come together? Our gathering is a foretaste of what it's going to be when we all get together. And I'm not talking about all of us. I'm talking about all Christians from all time from across the world, all Christians from all time from across the world gathered in one place. My loved ones are going to be there. I have a grandmother that I can't wait to see again. I have a sister that I can't wait to meet for the first time. Some of you have loved ones that you haven't seen. You get to meet them. And each other there. But you know what the best part of it is? Jesus is going to be there, and we're going to be with Him forever. And you know what the Bible calls this place, this time, when we're going to get to be with Jesus forever? You know what the Bible calls that? The Bible calls that place heaven. Heaven. And what a day that's going to be. You see, that's what we're doing now. And we need to know this as we come together We're coming together now in preparation of what it's going to be then. This right here is a dress rehearsal for forever, a dress rehearsal for glory. Let me show you. Look back at chapter 5 and verse 13 through 14, and I'm just going to walk through these passages. So you look at the Bible and just listen to my voice. On this side of heaven, we have to be those that prioritize peace. We have to admonish the idol. We have to encourage the faint-hearted. We have to help the weak. We have to be patient with them all. You know what that tells me? It tells me that in some cases, we have to put up with each other. And that's what a family does. Even with those members that frustrate you. That's why we come together. Because one day there will be no fight for peace. One day there will be no idol to admonish. One day there will be no faint-hearted needing encouragement. There'll be no weak needing help, and there'll be no need for patience. There'll just be all of us in fellowship, worshiping Jesus at the center of our attention forever. So see, this is why we gather together. This is why we come together, to remind one another of forever. It's not so that you can come and see my new maroon jacket. It's not so that you can come and see all these other things and see if they're going to be here or they're not going to be here. Did they do this or did they not do this? You know why we're here today? To remind one another of the coming expectation that we all share. This forever 
with Jesus. That's why we're here. And then notice the way that the book ends. Notice the way the letter ends. The last word in verse 28. The last word is a blessing of grace. And grace, by the way, let me say this, grace is the greatest theme in all the Scriptures. You say, well, I thought love was the greatest. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. The greatest theme in all of the Bible is grace. Grace is what sought us. Grace is what bought us. And we need grace, not just for a moment, but for every moment. You see, the fifth expectation that we have, we will need, number five, grace forever. We expect grace forever. Our greatest expectation is receiving grace. Some say, they say, Pastor, will there be another chance in eternity for another fall? Will there be another chance in eternity for another rebellion? The answer to that question is absolutely not. You say, how can you be so certain? The book of Hebrews tells us. We have a great high priest who has entered into the holies by his flesh. In other words, this Jesus has taken on flesh never to lay it down again. And as long as he has flesh, our salvation is secure. And he will keep that flesh forever. You know why? Because of grace. And grace shows us how much He loves us. Grace will last forever. When we've been there 10,000 years, it'll be just as if we first began yesterday. And one day, all that we hope for will be here. We will stand at the eternal shore of the celestial city of God. We will climb the vista of the mountain of God, being carried there by Jesus Himself. One day, our faith is going to be sight. One day, faith is going to be our eyes. One day, we will all be well when we rise, when we fly away, when He calls us to Himself. And until that day, until that day, we have this expectation to carry us. We have this hope to see us through. We have a God who Himself said that He would never leave us nor forsake us. And then He says, I am faithful and I will do it. And so until then, we come together in a moment like this. We meet each week carrying on the traditions that Christians have been doing since Jesus rose on the first day of the week, all together in one place, on the first day of the week, here we are all together in one place. And when He comes, we'll be all together in one place forever. But until that day comes, we meet each week, we open our Bibles, we kneel to pray, we put up with each other in some cases to remind us of the hope that we have. And God in Christ, through the Spirit, gives us a rock of hope, an expectation of joy that carries us throughout life. And each step along the way, He's there beside us. He's there, saying that He'd never leave us. You see, here's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Here's what the whole series has been about. 
Hope is yours through Jesus. It's available to you. All you have to do is reach out by faith and grab it. Some of you have been wandering through life, wondering what it's all about. Jesus says, I'm offering you peace today. Jesus says, I'm offering you life. Grasp it. Hold on to it. And as you grasp it and as you hold on to that hope, here's what you'll realize. That it's not so much you holding on to hope, listen, as it is hope that's holding on to you. He loves you. He gave himself for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Instead, he's coming for you to take us to be with him forever. You and I, Christians, we have the greatest expectation of joy. And the foundation of that is really one name, a name that's above every name. His name is Jesus. Won't you trust in him today? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for being the expectation of all of our longings. Father, the message today is for all of us who are weary and heavy laden to come to you and find the relief that we need for our souls. For some, it will be a first-time relief as they by faith trust in you for the first time. For others, it will be a refreshment of that faith. No matter which position we're in, Father, all of us here declare the same. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you would like to learn more about how we're taking the gospel from Startville to the ends of the earth, visit www.fbcstartville.com.